0: What do I have, if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Wow, it's so good to be back here at The Rock. It's been about two years. And I always love coming to Santa Rosa, you know, it's the home of the Charles Schultz Museum. And I always expect and hope that, you know, Charlie Brown and Lucy will come to one of these services. (laughs) But they never do. (laughs) But I'm glad that you all are here. And uh, yeah, this is just such a, a great time in, the, in our ministry, Jews for Jesus. Great time, meaning that we've had a lot of opportunities lately for some evangelism. Um, God is doing some great things among the Jewish people today. And I'm sure that prayer is one thing that's really driving things to happen. In fact, this very month, we had um, two outreaches in, uh, in Europe. We had one in Berlin, where there are 25,000 Um, Israelis who have moved from Israel to Berlin in search of better opportunities. And yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, And also we uh, did an outreach in Budapest, Hungary, where there's also a sizable Jewish uh, community. And there's just um, a lot of openness that we are encountering, a lot of people willing to engage with us on the streets. And as you probably know... um, Anti-Semitism has been on the rise, especially in Europe. So this is um, a time when there are uh, lots of Jewish people in Europe who are increasingly fearful or or unsettled. And the gospel message is a real message of hope that can speak right into their lives. So we've been out there at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin and other places. And I, I don't have any results yet to share with you because it's too, it's too soon. But the follow-up is going to be happening. We're going to be connecting with all the people who left us emails or phones or addresses. And we'd, we'd love your prayers um, for that. And especially to see some of those people come to faith uh, very soon. This morning, we are going to look at something else that has to do with the gospel message. We're going to look at one of the... Um, Holidays in the Old Testament, called Pentecost in the New Testament, but in the Old it's actually called Shavuot. It's known back there as the Feast of Weeks, but uh, you probably know it best as the holiday that takes place in Acts chapter 2, which we will come to. But you know, everything in the Old Testament, okay, everything there, Paul says, is is written down for our instruction, our edification, our encouragement, and I believe all of this is not just written to ancient Israel, but is written to us today to help us orient our lives to what God is doing. And we're gonna maybe just glimpse a little bit of that this morning. Now the Old Testament is, you know, sort of a closed book for, uh, for some Christians, but there's so much in there. And now, um, Leviticus 23 is the chapter that um, talks about some of the uh, sacred times, the holidays in the Old Testament. You know, when it comes to Jewish holidays, um, it goes like this. Most of them, most of them are like this They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. But the Feast of Weeks is a little bit different. It's uh, not about victory over enemies or anything like that. It's about gratitude for what God has done for us. And Leviticus 23, the Lord says to Moses, speak to the Israelites, say to them when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. And in the larger context of the chapter, it's right after Passover, the holiday of Passover. And um, you bring the first of your crops, which first crop was barley in the springtime. So the idea is that, you know, when you see the first fruits, the first grains, the first of the crop come out you believe in faith that there's more following. You know that if you eat that, you're not going to go hungry because there's more coming. It's, so it's sort of, uh, you offer the first to God because you have faith that he's going to provide for more, the rest of the crop. And you move forward in hope, which is like a settled conviction in the scripture that God's going to keep providing. And then what happens is that um, Go down to verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. And count off 50 days, about seven weeks, up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present merely another offering of new grain to the Lord, this time wheat. And from wherever you live, bring two loaves as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. So you... You do your initial crop, barley, you wait seven weeks, then you bring the first of the next crop, wheat. And it's that second offering that the Bible refers to as the feast of weeks and that the New Testament refers to as Shavuot. And by the way, um, Leviticus, it's not a book that a lot of Christians love to read. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it's sort of like you read Genesis. Oh man, that's great! You read at least half of Exodus. Oh man, that's so good! <laughs> and then it's like the rest is like the sequel that should never have been made. It's like, <laughs> but it's worth delving into, maybe with the help of a good study bu- uh, study book or something. In Jewish tradition, um, actually, a young child. Learn Leviticus, first of all, of all the books of the Bible. And the way they got the kid interested in reading uh, from the scriptures, they'd have like a slate with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet on it, and they would put a drop of honey on each letter. And then the kid gets to lick off the honey. And that way, he sort of associates sweetness with God's word. Yeah, right? So if you're finding it hard to get into Leviticus... <laughs> Yes, put some honey on that page of your Bible, Leviticus 1. And when no one's looking, lick it off. But maybe you'll associate sweetness with uh, exploring God's word, yeah? So Leviticus is where we find out initially about the Feast of Weeks. But there is more. When I talk about the holidays, I really talk about them in... Three ways, how they relate to our past, our journey, where God has brought us, where we were before we knew him, where we are now, this whole journey idea. And then I think it also relates to where we are right now, where God has put us today. And then finally, it relates to the future, what God still has for us, because our spiritual journey isn't going to be ended till we're with him in the end. And we see all of this in in the holiday of the Feast of Weeks. So what happened is that Leviticus doesn't tell you, but Deuteronomy does. When you bring that first of your your crops, you're basically telling the priest your testimony, maybe at a more national level than individual level, but you actually go through the whole story of the journey of Israel, of which the worshiper was part, right? So you actually say to the priest this whole thing. My father was a wandering Aramean, for he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. And I was not telling this to inform the priest. The priest is Jewish. The priest knows this whole story. But he's telling it so that it could be solidified for, for himself or herself. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. Uh, So the Lord sent Charlton Heston to confront Pharaoh. And that way he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now... I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. So even though he's bringing this to the priest, he's still addressing God that you, O Lord, have given me. And God certainly knows the story, but it's for his own benefit. And then place the basket before the Lord, your God, bow down before him. Then you, the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord, your God, has given you in your household. Basically uh, a celebratory party. Uh, celebrating what God has done. And so the worshiper doing this at, every year on the Feast of first fruits. it's a reminder of where they were, where God brought them. And all of us, all of us are on a journey and we all need reminders that someplace, at some time we were someplace we're not now, God brought us along. Or maybe you're here today, you're not yet a believer in Jesus or even in God, but maybe you're here because you're still on a journey and you're figuring things out. My journey started in New York City. I'm Jewish, I'm from New York, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, when I go back there or meet other people from New York, I start talking like this. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? And... uh, I really enjoyed the coffee out there in the hall before, this, before the service. And at the house I grew up in, I grew up in Reform Judaism. That's like the liberal wing of Judaism. And we were pretty culturally Jewish with the holidays and, and uh, you know, a lot of the Jewish traditions and, and at least some of them. But religiously, my parents were not really believers in God. I think the most serious conversation I had about God was like when I was a little kid and I said to them, well, so where do we all come from? And um, they were not Bible readers, but they said something like, God made us out of dust. <laughs> so I looked under my bed. And I saw the dust balls. Couldn't put it together. And there endeth my explorations into God until high school. When you grow up without God in your life, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people sense that there's a void and you, and you want to look for what's real and, and what's going on about life. What's it all about? Well, I was like that. So in high school and then in college especially, I really became a spiritual explorer. And let me tell you, Jews today are spiritual explorers. We delve into anything and everything except the gospel is still the big no, right? Yeah. If you believe in Jesus, we're, we're taught you stop being Jewish. You become a traitor to your people, that kind of thing. But, you know, we do like to explore everything else. Come down to San Francisco, maybe up here also. You find a lot of Jews involved in Buddhism. And uh, no joke, they're called juboos. And really, there are books about this, the juboos. Not making it up. And um, I began to study um, Eastern religions. I began to explore a, a kind of a psychic guy named Edgar Cayce. Uh, I started to um, delve into lots of different things. I even bought a book called 500 Ways People Can Grow. And it had everything in alphabetical order from astrology to Zen Buddhism, except for the gospel, you know. But I was like going through, I said, one of these, one of these ways I could plug into God, you know. And I got to the letter Y for yoga. And I said, all right, let me try yoga. And I bought the book that shows all the positions you have to twist into. I really couldn't twist into any of them. And I began to, uh, to worry if salvation was only for flexible people. <laughs> then, then we got a real problem here. And I kept exploring and reading and searching and taking courses and this and that. I finally meet this Christian guy from one of the campus Christian groups, a guy named Dan, who became my friend, and shared the real gospel with me. And I was, you know, already a little open to Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, but a kind of mystical Jesus because of everything I'd been looking at. But he shared the real gospel with me. We argued for nine months because I still believed in uh, reincarnation. Uh, I, be, I didn't believe in the deity of Jesus. I had all kinds of questions. But I'll tell you, after nine months, I felt like I was fighting God, and I gave my life over to the Jesus of the of the Bible. Yeah, praise God for that. And I, you know, I came to. Um, understand like for the first time not just what life was all about but what it meant to be Jewish to be the follower of the Messiah God had promised to the Jewish people so things started falling into place and of course my story goes on from there but that was my journey up to the point where I uh, came to faith I was like 19 years old right and you're all on a journey also. You've been somewhere, you're somewhere else now. And the Feast of of Weeks or Pentecost, at least as it's done here in the Old Testament, uh, shows us that it really pays to remind ourselves, to remind ourselves where we've been and where God's brought us. And that way, like the worshiper here in Deuteronomy, we're grateful to God for what he has done uh, in our lives. Um, There's that hymn, Once I Was Lost, Now I'm Found. Um, Maybe that's not something that resonates with everybody, but it resonates with me. And um, whenever you read the story of Israel in the Old Testament, don't think them, think us, think me. Think, how, how does the story of Israel relate to my journey? I mean, after all, when they came out of Egypt, they had a lot going on. I mean, there, there, there were, you know, there was a whole learning curve for Israel. They had just spent 400 years in slavery in a relationship based on fear of the taskmasters. Now they were trying to learn to live in a relationship based on love and faith, and it, it didn't come easy. And even after uh, that part of the story, as Israel settles in the land, there's sin, there's strife, uh, there's... Um, prayers in the Psalms of of how low I feel, how great I feel. I mean, there's so much in there that reflects our lives. Old Testament's not them. The Old Testament is for us. And Israel's story in many ways is the story of all followers of Jesus. Well, this holiday also tells us about where we're at right now. And there's so much that we could say about that. All the things that God Um, asks of us, gives to us, blesses us with, um, exhorts us to do at this point in our lives. But I want to concentrate on the evangelistic opportunities that arise because I'm with a mission organization. And here we are in the famous chapter of Acts 2. Now, this is one of those holidays, okay, Remember, it's a Jewish holiday. Just because it says Pentecost, it's a Jewish holiday, right? You've got... All these Jewish people from all over the Mediterranean streaming into Jerusalem. They're bringing their first fruits. A lot of times we read in the the rabbinic writings, they put them on the back of oxen. They tied the ox's horns with bows, make a real nice parade, a real nice procession, a lot of festivity marching into Jerusalem. You have these huge crowds now thronging in the streets of Jerusalem. And when this day came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly, there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and uh, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be uh, uh, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And furthermore, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And just because they were Jewish, you know, they came from all these countries. It didn't mean they all spoke Hebrew or Aramaic or anything like that. Uh, The ones from Greece uh, spoke Greek. The ones from Rome spoke uh, whatever the Italian was back then. Uh, The people from, you know, Turkey spoke uh, whatever they spoke in Turkey uh, 2,000 years ago. The people from China spoke Chinese. No, just kidding. They didn't come from China. (laughs) Nevertheless, Jewish people love Chinese food, so that's another story. (laughs) But for every language, when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Which is shorthand for, aren't they dummies? (laughs) The people in Judea did not think much of the people from Galilee. They were kind of the uneducated people. They probably didn't get past grade school. They are probably flipping burgers their whole life. Or whatever burgers were in the first century. So how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? What's going on here? Well, okay, we'll come to that. But what's going on here, I think, is this. I think God is taking what the people are thinking about on that day and using it to segue into the gospel message. And that's also um, an evangelism way, a way of doing evangelism that Jesus and the apostles did frequently. Here I think God the Father is, is doing it. So the background here is this. There was a legend connected with this day, the day of Pentecost. And I should say this, that, you know, not only was it the day of giving the first fruits of the crops, but also by this time, the days of Jesus, it was the anniversary of God giving his word on Mount Sinai back in the book of Exodus, giving the law to Moses. This was thought to be the day that happened. So there was a legend connected with those events. And the legend says this, don't look for this in your Bible, but it's a legend, said that, When God first gave the law, first he offered it to all the nations of the world in their own language. And they all heard it. And they said, you know what? We don't want it. And finally, last of all, God came to Israel and said, Israel, do you want the law? And Israel said, okay, we'll take it. That's not in the Bible. (laughs) At all. But... I think what's going on here in Acts chapter 2 is this. The people heard the sound like a great whooshing wind, like there was the noise of thunder on Mount Sinai. They saw tongues of fire like there was lightning on Mount Sinai back in Exodus. And they all heard the apostles speaking each in their own language, just like in that legend. And I think some people went, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? It's like our legend came to life. And, and maybe, maybe we should be listening here because if God spoke on Mount Sinai back then, maybe he's speaking again. It's like a repeat of Mount Sinai all over again, at least in the legend. And I think God was taking what they were thinking of about that whole story and turning it into reality. And they listened. And several thousand came to believe, it says, except for a few who didn't get it and said they're full of new wine, you know, and then Peter paraphrasing Peter, he said, "Listen, the, it's nine o'clock in the morning. The bars aren't even open yet." <laughs> and people came to faith, God taking what they were thinking about and, and, and segueing into uh, his own word, the gospel. Also, this was the day traditionally when King David was supposed to be born, have been born, and when he was supposed to have died. So people are thinking also, hey, this is the anniversary of David's death. So what does uh, Peter do in Acts chapter 2? He uh, starts talking about David. Brothers, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he placed one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. And so people are thinking, hey, King David died today. And so Peter comes along, hey, everybody, yeah, King David died and was buried, and he's still dead. We know where his tomb is. But guess what? One of his descendants, named Jesus, rose from the dead. And we saw it, we're witnesses. We saw him appear and no one actually saw him rise. They saw him afterwards. And he preaches the gospel and people come to faith. Again, he's taking what people were thinking about and he's, um, he is segueing into the gospel. And here, uh, if you're ever in Israel, King David's tomb is, is uh, at least the traditional spot of it is still there. And uh, as far as I know, he still is dead. And so, um, if you go there, uh, well, I don't recommend, uh, you know, preaching out loud to a crowd uh, at King David's tomb. If you get into a conversation with one person, you you can remind them King David's still dead, but did you know his descendant, the Messiah, rose from the dead? Who knows where that will go? So... This is something the apostles did constantly, you know, as well as Jesus. They took what people were thinking about, what people knew. They segued into the gospel. Jesus did this with his parables. He talked about things people cared about, knew about. The woman who lost the coin, big deal. It could have been a a, a big part of of her uh, assets. And I'll tell you about another holiday where Jesus did this in the fall, okay? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles, another big holiday. Everyone's in Jerusalem, huge crowds. And John chapter seven says that on the last day, the great day of the feast, um, something happened. Jesus stood up and spoke. What happened on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which ran for a week? Well, as it turns out, there was a big, what I can call a water show in the temple, a big ceremony. The priests would come out and they pour water around the altar as an acted prayer to God to keep sending the rain and keep producing the crops. And there was a lot of singing and parading and pageantry. And the rabbi said, hey, listen, if you haven't seen this water show, you haven't seen anything in your whole life. Must have been quite a thing. There's no temple anymore there, no more water show. But back then, yeah. If you haven't seen it, you haven't seen anything in your whole life, go see it. You do have to watch out when people tell you you have to see something and you can't miss something. I was driving towards Springfield, Missouri once, and someone said, you have to see the Bass Pro Shop. Can't miss the Bass Pro Shop. So I went there and it was like a a supermarket for fishing poles. I'm from New York City, we don't even have nature in New York City, I could have missed it. But the the water show in the temple was a little bit different because it had spiritual significance as well as all the pageantry. It was uh, basically a way to ask God to keep providing, keep providing what people needed. And yeah, that was when John 737, Jesus stood up in a loud voice and everyone's watching water on this last and greatest day of the feast. And he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so again, Jesus takes what people were thinking about and he uses it to uh, segue into the gospel and I think that's just a great way of communication because I know you've got people in your life that you know, maybe you have been looking for an opportunity to share your faith with. How do you do it? Well, I think first of all, you gotta find out their concerns and their fears and their hopes and what interests them. And then you can have that opportunity to show how the gospel is relevant uh, to that, Basically, their felt needs, what, you know, what are they looking for? And we can show how, how the gospel fits that. Um, you know, in Jews for Jesus, we, we've tried this a lot um, with special broadsides or tracts that we write that are kind of slotted for specific themes. So we go out to a sporting event. Obviously, everyone's watching the game, yeah? And we, we have a tract called, um, I Thought I Was an Olympic Superstar and we hand that out and people, you know, engage or at a farmer's market I handed out this tract once called um, Meet the Human Vegetable <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like I was a corn but I had no ears I was a potato but I had no eyes <laughs> <laughs> it was um, <laughs> um, it was basically showing that, you know Without God, we don't see straight, we don't hear straight, but when we come to faith in him, then God you know, gives us eyes to see and so forth. Well, it made sense to hand that out. It was a farmer's market. So my encouragement to you is, you know, look for those points in, in a friend's life where, um, where they need to hear the gospel and um, in, a, in a way that matches your temperament, your personality, and how you speak to people, God will, I think, give you those kinds of opportunities. And it's not always easy, but, um, you know, it's it's definitely something that can be done. And it's not the same for everybody. You know, the founder of Jews for Jesus was Moish Rosen. Some of you know about Moish or know him. He could get away with things no one else could get away with. He had this idea once that when you pick up your clothing from the dry cleaners, you could say, did you know that Jesus can get your soul cleaner than you can get any of my clothes? <laughs> I think for me, um, the response would be, that's nice, that'll be 699. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it worked for him. So, you know, it, it all depends on, uh, on who we are and how we speak to people. But this is the encouragement about the Feast of Pentecost from Acts 2. There can be lots of points of encouragement, but my encouragement today is... Make that point of connection. And uh, you may not see 3,000 come to faith in one day like in the book of Acts, but maybe you'll see some interest on the part of uh, a friend or two. And it tells us this holiday does about our future. You know, Old Testament first fruits bring the first of the crop to God. You know, more is coming. It's not the end, it's the beginning. New Testament uses this idea of first fruits to say that, hey, our spiritual life is not yet complete. God has a future for us, and there's a hope ahead, and we're not done yet. And he uses this, the New Testament uses this in several ways. Now, what do we have here? This is the empty tomb, right? Stones rolled away. What does Paul say about the resurrection? He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means death. New Testament uses this phrase a lot. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee from God, kind of a promise that we are gonna be raised from the dead also, you know? We are also going to see um, some great transformations in our lives. How do we know? Because Jesus went first. He was the pioneer. He rose from the dead, and by the way, the evidence for the resurrection is awesome. Um, some people have even come to faith trying to disprove the resurrection and they look at it and they say, wow, it really happened. And because of this, we know that our body also will be resurrected. And that's, you know, that's a comfort, especially when our body runs down. Um, Don't wish to be a senior too soon. Um, But... uh, The body does run down. And even when we're younger, we can get sick. Um, Things happen. Injuries, pain. But our bodies one day will be resurrected. And even though we are much more than just bodies, we know that when something does happen to our bodies, it affects our spirit, it affects our emotions. Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to rise also going to be real. It's going to happen. First fruits. What do we have here? Oh, look, it's a dove. Dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. I mean, the dove is here, the kind of the Calvary chapel logo going on. And what does Paul say about this? He says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, the Spirit indwells us now, and Paul says it's only the first fruits. Now, it doesn't mean we have like 10% of the Spirit now and later we're going to get 90%, but our experience that the Spirit provides and that He provides in our lives, we're just seeing the start of it. Our experience spiritually is going to become much greater than it is now. And until that time happens we're groaning inwardly. We want the redemption of our bodies. In New York City, um, we also groan outwardly. Uh, Paul apparently did not. He was not from New York. So he groaned inwardly. However you groan, we're all groaning. We're all wanting something better. And we know we've experienced something different since we've become Christians in our lives, among the community, but it's just the start. It's like the tip of an iceberg. There's more happening. There's more coming and it will be. And the the fact that we have the Holy Spirit now in our lives is sort of the guarantee that there's gonna be more happening. Oh, we have a baptism here, and that means this person is probably a new Christian. And Paul referred to the new believers in an area also as first fruits. He says, uh, likewise, greet the church that is uh, in so-and-so's house. Uh, greet my beloved uh, Epinetus." Uh, I'm glad that's not my name, but nevertheless, uh, greet Eponidas, who is the uh, first fruits of the region of Achaia to Christ, the first believer. And um, I urge you, brethren, uh, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the ministry of the, of the saints, the believers, other believers. So they're a whole household were uh, the first to believe. So when Paul calls them the first fruits, that can only mean one thing, he expects more to come. He knows that's not the end, it's the beginning. And, you know, in, a, in Jews for Jesus, when we uh, see Jewish people come to faith, it's not a huge number. It's one by one by one by one. But because that happens, we also have the encouragement that in faith we know more people are also going to open to the gospel and come to faith and we see that today the Jewish community is much more open especially millennials to talking about the gospel and to interacting about spiritual things we see Jewish people coming to, uh, to faith uh, in Israel in the, uh, especially in Israel but elsewhere in substantial numbers substantial is not a thousand but a substantial could be 60 so We did an outreach a year ago, um, over a year ago now, in Jerusalem. And 58 people came to faith in Jesus. And and guess what about them? They were all Russian speakers. People who had immigrated to Israel from Russia and Ukraine are proving to be one of the most open groups of Jewish people. And... uh, We actually sent some of our Russian staff from Ukraine down to move to Israel because there's such a need for ministry down there. So yeah, um, we expect more to come to faith and the first who come, we know there's gonna be more and that's encouraging. But then we have a galaxy. Oh, the whole universe. Here goes James. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You know, we are the first of what God is doing in the whole universe, the churches. You know, we've been redeemed and we're still progressing on our journey with the Lord growing. At one day, God's redemption is going to touch the whole universe in some way or other. And uh, James says, we are the first of that. You know, we celebrated uh, the commemoration of D-Day not long ago. What was that? It was the first beachhead uh, that led to the end of World War II. It was the beginning of the end. And as a church, here and throughout the world, we are God's beachhead into this world. You know, we are the first of a much greater redemption. We are who the world is looking at. And God, by the way, didn't ask for volunteers, yeah? He didn't say, who wants to be First Fruits today? I need some people. He just says, that's what you are, whether you feel like it or not. I know some days I don't want to get out of bed. I want to be Last Fruits. (laughs) But God didn't ask us to to volunteer. Like, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world in Matthew. That's who we are, whether we feel like it or look like it or want to be it. Now that we've come to faith in him, that's it. Tag, you're it. So God is going to use us as a whole body um, to spread his redemption throughout this world. And that's pretty awesome, I think. We're the first fruits. God is going to be doing something in this world. Well, here we have seen that this feast, Pentecost, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, helps us sort of calibrate our spiritual life, where we've come from, always worth thinking about, and where God has brought us, where we are right now, the many things that we could be doing right now, individually and as a corporate body, where God has planted us right now. I know people say, bloom where you're planted. I don't like cliches. Like today is the first day of the rest of your life. <laughs> and it's the last day of my previous part of my life. <laughs> but where God has us now, lots of opportunities to serve him. And it shows us our future. Uh, all the great things that are going because our story is not yet over. And so this story, the gospel, is what we're trying to communicate to Jewish people around the world. Let me quickly update you on some of that. Um, we, um, we have like 27 different branches around the world. Um, 27 cities, 14 countries. Our biggest branch is in Israel where there are six million Jewish people, as many as live in North America, and it's growing there. And we've had a branch in Tel Aviv for uh, many years now, about 15 years, I guess. And um, we just opened up a branch in Jerusalem which is a whole different ball of wax. It's a very religious city. You, you can't just go out and hand out tracts. But what we have noticed in Jerusalem is that there's a lot of social, physical needs. Um, there's a lot of substance abuse, prostitution, poverty. And our teams there, you know, are going, ministering in, in these areas and uh, sharing the gospel at the same time. So... <clears throat> You can be praying for us. That's maybe the best thing you could do. What do you want to pray for? The follow-up from Berlin and Budapest. The Jerusalem branch, as we continue to staff that and grow that in Israel. And on the table in the back, we've got a Jews for Jesus resource table. You're going to see um, these bright neon-colored index cards. They actually come in four different colors. How cool is that? And if you uh, fill out your name and address and your email, your contact info, basically, we'll send you a free newsletter we have that lets you keep in touch and pray for things and find out how you can better share your faith with Jewish friends and stories of Jews who are coming to believe so that you can partner, you can pray, you can think. Um, and it's a way of really keeping in touch. Um, There's also an opportunity to give into an offering for Jews for Jesus in a basket on our resource table in that basket you can put um, any gifts or with or without a gift you can put the cards in there with your info we'll have free stuff there we'll have uh, books like this one Jews don't need Jesus and other misconceptions (laughs) and lots of other things so let's close in a word of Prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for um, where you've brought us in our lives, uh, the provision that you've given to us, where you've placed us now and where you're taking us in days to come, Lord. We uh, pray that we can always remember that the story's not over. What we are experience is the first fruits of what you have yet to uh, give to us and what we have yet to become. Till then, Lord, till that day, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.